Hey, Will, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm good. I just wanted to mention that you keep on grabbing the microphone during our conversations and you make it more difficult for the editor. So I'm just saying that. The editor is me. The editor is you on this, but I'm helping you. I'm actually like doing this for your benefit. This is the problem with... I have to deal with you every single day. And (laughs) listeners, listen to this. See see this sort of behavior? I'm trying to help him. and I Help me. Help me, and I actively goodness. get told off for doing it. Look, but anyway, happens, let's get to the real. All that happens is I get overexcited, and I'm just like so excited by all the chats that we're having. I don't like you. Just seem disinterested most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I have to keep, well, that's I have not, to keep the conversation I'm... going. It's like one of us has to keep yeah, it all going. I mean, that is it's always me. That is clearly always mental. Me. <laughs> that is clearly mental. But we do have a particularly exciting guest on this podcast today. Who is the guest? Philip Ilson. Philip Ilson, who co-founded the London Short Film Festival back in 2003, which was originally the Halloween Short Film Festival. Um, yeah, we get into his journey with the festival and his perspective on short films generally. Um, yeah, and, and all sorts of really interesting insights about film. Yeah, super interesting. Um, we also talk about why filmmakers should submit their films to, uh, to film festivals, like what's in it for them, basically. Um, and how to build your own audience. Obviously, Philip's managed to build a huge audience with um, London Short Film Festival. Um, and so we tried to transfer that into like, how do we as filmmakers build our audience? Because that's something we're, that Yain and I know are definitely talking about a lot um, and taking back control there. Um, yeah, we talk about diversity as well within mm-hmm. London Short Film Festival and how they've sort of tackled that over the years. Yeah, and about how they what... how they select their submissions as well, how they select yeah. the the uh, strands for, yeah. their, for their film festival, and what makes like a short film really tick for Philip. You know, like um, uh, you know what what makes a film really stand out. Yeah, what's, he's what's seen an original so short many. film for him? Yeah, exactly. And then the big the big one is what his short his favorite short film is because obviously he is he's the man who has seen all of the short <laughs> films. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so know. we get a few from him, which was great. Yeah, and like you know he's been a programmer for many years, and he's you know worked for festivals like um, East End Film Festival, Cork Film Festival, BFI, uh, Branchard Film Festival. Um, so he's he's had a, a real experience with programming, and you know you just the passion for short films is really infectious from him. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's also a nice, it's a different perspective from anyone else that we've had on the podcast um, so far. Obviously we've just been interviewing filmmakers and people who are, who work on the other side of the camera or actors, but we haven't had anyone who's in distribution or in festivals. So it's mm-hmm. uh, a totally different view and perspective on uh, short films. So I hope you guys enjoy. Let's get into it. Welcome, Philip Ilson, to the podcast today. We're at the London Short Film Festival offices, and he's been kind enough to come and chat to us uh, all about filmmaking, short filmmaking. Yes, short filmmaking, very much so. (laughs) So, yeah, the first question we've got prepared for you, Philip, is uh, why should a filmmaker submit their short to a festival? So what's in it for them? Um, Yeah, that's a pretty good good opening question. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's up to the filmmaker how they want to get their film out there. I mean, you know, festivals aren't the only way, as we all know. Uh, certainly not not now with with what you can do online and and the engagement you can get online, which you could argue is actually a lot bigger than what you can get of a film festival in terms of people watching. Um, I suppose with a film festival, you've obviously got the um, 
you know the 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 idea of actually being in the room with the people watching the film uh if you can make it to the festival or at least knowing that the film is going to be has been selected by a team out of many 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 submissions to play in a room full of people um so yeah and also i think you know, to have that, for want of a better word, kudos of playing at an established festival, uh, of which there are many great festivals to be part of, um, you know, and having that on your CV, for want of a better word, is 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 really good for a filmmaker. Of course, there's a whole another area of online screenings which is equally important and where you can get many more views. It's a kind of a sort of an area I don't really know much about because we don't really do online stuff for London Short Film Festival, even post-COVID. Uh, because um, I know there was a lot of talk about festivals becoming much more hybrid, but uh, that hasn't really happened since we've kind of come out of COVID. I think people still want that interaction sort of face-to-face. -face. So I think, yeah, it's if, you know, it's just a good thing to get your film into a film festival. <laughs> for want of a better way of putting it. Is there, I, I guess there's an element of like networking, like you say, you've got face-to-face -face and there are other filmmakers yeah. there, and is that something that you guys try and push when, when you're Yeah, running? yeah, I think any festival does that. I mean, you know, it, what I, I get a little bit jealous of festivals that are in smaller places because everyone's in the same place at the same time for the period of the festival. Um, in London, that's a bit harder because, you know, it's a big city and we're very spread out. But we do, you know, have networking sessions for filmmakers to meet. We have a whole industry programme. Also, what I think is strong with London Short Film Festival is we have a, gen a, a really big general audience, which maybe some other festivals that are a bit more industry-focused um, don't really have, have because we're using those established cinemas like the Curzon Soho and some of the other venues that we use I think people that go to those cinemas that are regulars at those cinemas will come and check out the festival as well so it's not necessarily just a, a filmmaking audience it's also a, a general audience that just want to see some interesting stuff and I think that's important to filmmakers to have their work in front of those audiences because if you're going to develop your career and if you're going to make features then I suppose those are the audiences that are going to be going to see your films rather than an industry audience so you're saying like you should it's valuable to see how they respond yeah to i think so yeah the general audience yeah yeah and how valuable would you say the i suppose face-to-face -face interactions with industry people or fellow filmmakers are in a film in a film festival i mean or specifically I think, london short film festival yeah i mean i think as i said we do these networking and industry sessions and i do know that you know filmmakers do meet future collaborators at these sessions as they would at other film festivals um you know so i think in that sense it is really important um to have that to have these public and you know personal um events and festivals where this this interaction can happen face to face so we're we've been chatting a lot recently about like building our audiences as filmmakers ourselves and uh, obviously you've you've had to do that yourself as the uh, founder of the festival uh, and London Short Film Festival ha has such a, a good reputation and we were just wondering about how you've managed to build up that reputation over all of these years and you know cause it's got it's got a great reputation in the short film world 
I mean, the festival didn't get sort of started overnight. Um, you know, it's been 20 years. Well, the next edition will be the 21st edition. And, you know, it was me that was at the start. Um, you know, I co-founded it with a uh, with a friend at the time, Kate Taylor, who's now um, currently the new director at Edinburgh Film Festival. Um, she programmed there last year, but now she's moved up to director. But anyway, so when we started it, we kind of did it as a couple of friends just trying something out. And it did grow out of a film club that I'd been running since the late 90s, which, you know, um, I won't go into too deeply, but, you know, that period of time, you know, I was looking to see what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I knew I wanted to do, I'd been making some short videos and music videos with a friend and been doing bits of photography and you know loved cinema um you know i grew up in london so i had access to places like the bfi uh south bank like the other independent cinemas that were around you know to see a lot of stuff the scala cinema was around when i first got into into cinema down in king's cross so that was an important place discovering film so yeah i think it it also felt that you know we were making these films there were some other cinema clubs around at that time um that were very sort of alternative they weren't part of the main industry they were you know there was this one that, that that's still going this the exploding cinema um who'd been going since the sort of late 80s early 90s and they're still running nights at the cinema museum and it was kind of like an open access bring your short film down and this was all quite you know kind of light bulb moment hey let's start a film club you know so that period of that late 90s and into the early 2000s yeah we were running these nights that were showing short films they weren't in cinemas they were in different spaces you know club spaces venue spaces and that kind of just yeah i again doing that that's how i got involved in doing some stuff at the ica i was running some club nights at the ica and then speaking to the head of cinema who was um, there at that time jane giles who actually had worked at the scala and she is the person that has just directed the scala documentary that uh, will be released uh, this year at some point um she was running the cinema and said why don't you think about running a a short film festival you know you could do it over a weekend so I spoke to my friend Kate who'd been sort of doing I'd met her when I was temping doing a temp job and she'd just graduated um, from doing film at Farnham so she was like looking to do interesting stuff and then we just sort of started the festival I mean thinking back to that period it wasn't an easy period I had been working at the British Council Films Department for a while which I kind of ended which is where I met Kate actually because she was temping there as well but we were just in there as temps we weren't you know just doing admin-y kind of work in the office and it was kind of quite lucky I'd been in, in, in the British Council temping in another department, in accounts department before that, because I needed the job. And then the films thing kind of came up and it all kind of clicked together at the right time. I left the British Council in the early 2000s to kind of try and kind of become a freelance film programmer, which wasn't that easy. It never, it's still not that easy to do that. Um, but I did end up getting a programming job at the Curzon Soho Cinema. And then off the back of that, I did end up working for some other film festivals that actually had proper budgets. Um, I worked to, for a, as head programmer at the East End Film Festival for five years, which was... Um, 
funded by Tower Hamlets Council. So, you know, we had a proper, I mean, I got a wage every month to do this, you know, for, for nine months of the year. And then I was involved in another festival um, in the Channel Islands uh, in Jersey, which again had, you know, decent budgets. So, you know, I was earning money that way. London Short Film Festival or Halloween Short Film Festival and then London Short Film Festival very much felt like the little hobby thing that I was doing between these other festival jobs you know we were obviously it wasn't it was four days five days it was at one or two venues we weren't really getting that many submissions i mean this was the days when sacks of um well the first year it would have been sacks of vhs tapes <laughs> turn up yeah. not that many sacks either you know well with vhs you know 20 VHSs is quite a big parcel, but then it moved to DVD, so we weren't getting a lot of films, and it was mostly UK anyway. But I think what at that time it was really learning how to present a festival in the way that we wanted to do it. Um, you know, we weren't particularly getting any funding coming in from those funders that did fund more industry based festivals. You know, we were very much running it like a show some short films, put some bands on, maybe get some guests sort of club nights in that want to curate some films. And then, yeah, I think it was the UK Film Council that who were around at the time, who obviously no longer exist, that got in touch and said that they want to, you know, run a networking event because they could see that the festival was gaining a bit of a reputation um, for filmmakers in London. So that was kind of the start of realizing, oh, hold it, we've got something quite good here, you know. And that reputation was just for showing great films. Yeah, I think so. And also the way we presented it. I mean, again, because we're coming at this very from left field and from this sort of slightly alternative way, you know, we didn't do like a proper kind of catalogue of films. We were putting together these little fanzine brochures, you know, photocopied things that kind of like weren't really nice sort of design things to have uh you know and we were marketing the festival that way again for audiences not necessarily for industry but i think yeah that's kind of what got people interested in the festival because of those other things that we were doing i mean obviously the reason for the festival existing is the fact that we get submissions of short films and then they get selected and then programmed into the festival but i think the festival becomes a much bigger thing than that with all the other stuff that's going on not just the industry stuff but the retrospectives the curators that we we um collaborate with the sometimes the crossover stuff that we do with music and and film so you being an alternative film festival that was you were pretty much on your own doing that sort of thing at that point yeah i mean i think you know i don't want to you know there's other been other festivals across the uk that are obviously very important industry festivals i mean i went to encounters in bristol the year we started london short film festival because we just wanted to go and check it out and see what this thing was and you know obviously you know years down down the line we have a good relationship with those guys i mean they've been through a lot of changes since then anyway with different people coming and going through encounters um you know but but yeah, I mean, 
I think, you know, we don't want to just put on a, the same festival as everyone else. I mean, I've, you know, in terms of the films and submissions, yeah, there's going to be some crossovers, films that are screened at Encounters, films that screen at London Short Film Festival or Bolton or Glasgow or Aesthetica, you know, we know all those guys quite well. So there's going to be some sort of crossover. But I think we've also all got our own identity in terms of how we present you know the, the the festival and i think again being in london you know it's going back to that sort of attracting a, a general audience which maybe is harder in bristol or harder in glasgow um or harder in york i mean i know aesthetica has a very strong student audience who all sort of come to york for the festival period and that works for them really well um so yeah i suppose the festival has changed a lot in 20 years, but I don't think the ethos has. And that connection with film clubs, film collectives, um, the sort of stuff that we were doing back in the early days, continuing to do those kind of interesting events, I think is really important. And I enjoy that side of programming uh, as much as um, the submissions viewing, you know. Yeah. And so, so you're... I guess if you could say you had a voice, your festival, like you say, there's Aestheticas, Encounters in Edinburgh, all of these festivals, quite a saturated market almost. But then, like, you know, there's like, what would be the, the voice of London Short Film? Well, well, the kind of, yeah, it's quite, it's quite, um, I'm quite intrigued because I think each of them, like you say, Aestheticas yeah. got the, the student audience and it's got that. It's just in York, it's really tiny. Yeah, but, I mean, I, it's interesting. That's well, it good, might not have. You might not think it does. No, no, I think it does. I mean, I, I don't. Want, I mean, it's interesting because I was doing a talk, a curation course at NFTS recently, and we had a look at some of the old Halloween short film festival brochures. And Sandra, who runs the course, said it's really interesting. In your early brochures, you know, you've you, on the front it says skateboards and zombies and punk rock. And some short films. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like the short films are sort of, you know, that's the afterthought. You know, the other stuff's, I don't know. So I, I still think that, you know, I, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's a meaningless phrase, but I always have that sort of slightly, I always say, oh, you know, we're a bit punk rock in terms of a festival. Not that we're, you know, putting on something that's bad and messy, but because I hope, you know, we want the festival to be the most professional it can be in terms of projection and the way films are presented and the events we do. So not, not, not a kind of, you know, scuzzy kind of feel, but, but there is an element that it's a bit sort of left field. So I guess going back to this building an audience question. So this is something that keeps coming up in our podcast when we interview guests. Um, it, there seems to be a lot of focus on this, like whether it be via social media or I don't know, YouTube, what, what, what have you. Um, yeah, there seems to be a real focus on how can we do this as filmmakers? How can we build our audiences and, and sort of take back a bit of control, I guess. Um, how do you feel about that nowadays? Because I imagine that's very, that was very different in 20 years ago. Um, and do you think it's necessary? Like, yeah, w what's your opinion on that? Um, well, on social media, I mean, it's um, been really important to us. And I think, you know, when you think of 20 years and what was, what you know, when we started and, you know, we knew we had to be in Time Out, we knew we had to be in The Guardian Guide and there was obviously other print media that we could be in. Obviously now there's no no print media particularly um, to, to what who reads it anyway. But what's been interesting is that all those things that we now take for granted have all 
come about in the last 20 years. So Twitter and Facebook, you know, we jumped on quite early, um, getting, you know, a presence on those social media, which is why I think that the numbers on those those um, platforms for us is quite big. So, you know, that was important. And then, you know, those became more important than, than getting that more sort of um, traditional press. And, um, yeah, so I think... And social media has also been important for the filmmakers because, you know, they help to promote their own screenings, which is something that obviously couldn't happen before. So, again, those filmmakers that jumped on those platforms quite early to kind of get that promotion for their work, you know, helped to build the audience as well. Yeah. So do you think the, the, the online presence of a filmmaker is like of like almost utmost importance now or like if they had a film? maybe prioritizing online or going both, going for festivals and online to yeah, try and yeah. get, like, you know. I mean, most festivals, certainly in this country, don't require a premiere. So we don't even check or care if a film's already online. Um, the only one I know that still has a bit of a premiere thing going on is Sheffield with documentary shorts, but they don't show many anyway. Um, yeah, that's that's the only festival that requires a short, a premiere for shorts uh you know we don't in counterstone um and i worked for many years as a programmer at london bfi london film festival and when i started it was very strict the whole premiere thing it was a uk premiere i was really against it and eventually it got changed to a london premiere and then they got rid of the whole premiere thing completely so um there is no premiere status i mean i think it's yeah, if you're going to Berlin or Cannes, you know, I can see that those festivals would require this kind of premiere, this international premiere, because these are big festivals that show very few short films anyway. Um, you know, so in that sense, I get that that's why they stick to this very strict premiere rule. And there's festivals like Venice that, that you, they don't even let you screen in your own country, at least with Berlin and Cannes, you can screen within your country but but venice requires a total independent a total international premiere mm. yeah so what what um advice do you think you give to a filmmaker like in today's landscape a short filmmaker who's just maybe just made a short film around building an audience or like a, maybe a hype around their short yeah i mean for us we're not looking at what else the filmmaker is doing as programmers curators you know we've got a lot of films to watch we obviously you know, get the submissions and all the submissions get watched by the team, by the selection committee. Um, you know, as I said, what the, you know, the filmmakers can access building that audience on social media. That's to that's not totally my area, how the filmmakers want to do it. And I'm sure there are lots of different ways in how you do um, do that kind of promotion and kind of similar with how you run a film festival you know no one there's no rules over how to run a film festival there's so many different festivals have different ways of of how they do their selection you know and i've spoken to other festivals that do it in ways that we wouldn't really consider doing you know we have our way of doing it so yeah i suppose for filmmakers i suppose again there's no rules but you can you know build build your audience as you as you see fit really and i going back to that original question to be in festivals i think helps for that for that you know for that filmmaker to build them build uh, themselves yeah just a quick one on that so when you look at the submissions does it ever cross your guys mind about the person the individual or the director's social media presence 
or are you simply looking at the Oh, no, it's the simply the submissions. I mean, yeah, using Film Freeway is obviously very... You're very able to look at who the filmmaker is, to look at their biog, to look at their accompanying letter if they've sent one. If it's something that you want to read, you don't always want to read that stuff. I mean, it's like, you know, before, certainly when I was programming at LFF, you know, we just got sent um, Excel sheets with links on, so we had very little information mm. on, on... I quite like that idea. You yeah. Know, just, yeah, having, yeah. Just, you know, just, just the film. film so, it's yeah. just the film. And, you know, that's always been my thing, that it's yeah. always about you know, what's on the screen when you press play. Mm. That's most important, definitely. Yeah. We, I mean, we were discussing the cover letters. Yeah. And is that something that filmmakers should do? Because obviously on Film Freeway, you've got the you option. You can to have write an option. Cover. I mean, but, again, it's interesting to read if it's a film that you like. You know, if it's a film that you're not really considering, you may not go to it. I, again, there's, you know, other festivals might look at all that stuff, or other curators might look at all that stuff in detail. Um, but it sort of goes back to when we were accepting DVDs because you had this thing about people would send a DVD with so much extra stuff with press releases, like a pack, big DVD cover, you know, and a lot of the time it's like, well, you just want to watch what's on, on again, pressing play. You know, it's not really going to make any difference whether you select the film or not because um, it is about the film. Yeah, as it should be. As yeah. it should be. Yeah. Um, I had a question about... Um, uh, festivals and I guess the the industry we're in. And I want to go into the low budget mayhem thing that you guys do as well, which is awesome. But um, film uh, is is so expensive to make short films. Getting it made is one thing, one huge mountain to climb over. Getting it out there, you know, like we've just been talking about into festivals and online and things. That's another big expense. You know, if you're submitting to to know like twenty festivals, so that's a lot of money. Um, which you know can be quite frustrating and could be seen as we were talking about it's like maybe it's almost it's like another gatekeeper stopping you getting your work out do you think that is this just a necessary evil to be able to have to spend all of that extra money after you've um, made your film or is there a I don't know are we coming to a place where it's going to change or it's going to be maybe more accessible hmm. I mean submission fees is 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 obviously a big discussion point amongst festivals and amongst filmmakers um when we started we didn't you know charge submission fees um the more films that come in the more people it takes to watch the films i mean in the early days you're relying on volunteers but certainly for us we have a proper selection committee that get paid a fee um so you know there's no denying that submission fees year round help to sort of fund fund that i think it's really you know, important for filmmakers to know that they're, the money that they're sending to a festival isn't just going in the in the, the festival director's pocket. You know, I, I, I'm sure they do know that. But then on the flip side, I'm sure there are many scam festivals where the money that gets... Because you see some of these festivals charging so much money. And, like, how do they justify that, especially if the festival's not well known? Or I mean, there's all sorts of, you, you know... the. Uh, festival formula guys they do a whole discussion around scam festivals that's quite entertaining because there's definitely some dodgy dodgy people out there but yeah I suppose going back to filmmakers having to make that you know cost I suppose when you're doing your original budget that's what I hear that, that filmmakers should have this in place that they are putting aside a couple of hundred quid or 300 quid or whatever with the, the key festivals that they want to target that they want to pay uh, to submit to so 
I know, again, you hear these horror stories where filmmakers are paying thousands and then not getting into any festival. So I think it's that scattergun approach, which, again, I, it's not something I have experience of because I'm not a filmmaker, but I gather on Film Freeway, you can just, like, press, submit, 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 and yeah, end yeah. up It kind of paying. encourages a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so which is really dodgy. Um, so I suppose it's just being a bit aware of where you're going to submit to and um you know where you hope to screen uh, in advance and having a strategy in place and um, by that do you mean like my film is about x and it would probably fit in with a london short film festival or yeah i suppose if you've got or... a genre film then you would look and see what sort of horror festivals are or what festivals have midnight movie type screenings um but yeah i don't i mean again it's this is probably where it would be worth you doing a podcast with Festival Formula because they have a lot of good, you know, information on how to strategize your film, et cetera, et cetera. As, you know, for us, we're not a specific genre festival. So, you know, we're, we're looking at everything across the board. We don't say, oh, we're looking for this or we're looking for that. We just submit all short films. When people submit, they don't submit into a category other than documentary we ask people to make a make a note if they're a documentary but you know the others just tend to get watched as a as a whole rather than a specific style of film or genre of film um you know they're being watched as an individual piece of work but again other festivals may ask you to submit to horror or comedy or experimental or whatever you know yeah, they do that, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then they break the program down into those different sections. Yeah, I'm curious. Like, you say you, you don't feel so qualified to, like, I don't know, talk too much about strategy and things like that, which I'm sure is very modest of you because I suppose you've been, you've been in the industry for a long, long time and you've seen, you must have had many friends who you've seen, like, kind of on the rise or, or, do, or do well on the, on the festival circuit. And generally, but yeah, I'm curious, like how, if you've seen any trends with the filmmakers from the beginning versus now and like what kind of things they're doing and where that's, you know, led them to success. Yeah. I mean, doing the festival for 20 years and showing short films, there's going to be a fair amount of people that have gone on to do other, you know, bigger things. And there's a whole bunch of names I could rattle off. I mean, the first festival we ever did when we were Halloween Short Film Festival, we screened uh, Wasp by Andrea Arnold. Oh, amazing you know. short film. Um, oh my in fact, I think we gave it our, her first award. Really? Wow. <laughs> was, it, was that when it was the Halloween It was the first was your festival first ever we did. One? Wow. I yeah. love that short film. It's yeah, because she came back the next year to do a retrospective of her three short films. Uh, sadly, she was... Um, had to cancel attending at the last minute because she got invited to Sundance to do a pitch uh, session, which I think led to her first feature. But we had one of our actresses on. Oh, no, we filmed her, an interview with her, I remember, in my front room. That was quite was funny. The, the mum in the, in, in the short films? Uh, no, it was Natalie Press. Who's, uh, yeah, the mum, yeah, 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 in, yeah, in Wasp. Yeah, she, she came down. But we also did a filmed interview with Andrea. Um, but, yeah, we've obviously had a relationship with someone like her, for years and years and years, in fact, I mean, I'm not giving any sort of program secrets away, but we're going to do a screening of some older shorts at the festival in January, and we'll include one of her shorts. I was speaking to her recently to get a, 
a film print. Um, but yeah, you know, there's obviously the more experimental filmmakers like Andrew Cotting, which who I've known for 30 years, you know, and he's, he directed our trailer. But he's an interesting figure doing gallery work, documentary work. He's done some VR stuff at Sheffield. And then I suppose, yeah, I mean, as I said, I don't want to just rattle off a load of names, but, you know, even, you know, recently we've had features from Dion Edwards, Pretty Red Dress. We've had features from Thomas Hardiman, um, Medusa Deluxe. You know, there's a lot of filmmakers that have come up through screen, well, Mark Jenkin as well, Ennis Men always screen a lot of his his work. So yeah, I mean, it's, there's, you know, it's interesting seeing those ones that do, do break through. Is there any like traits or anything that those guys had um, that, um, I mean, I think, you know, bar talent maybe, yeah. <laughs> or like what, what did and they also do? An originality in, in the work, you know, Mark Jenkins, a good example of that. Um, you know, obviously he had this selling point of, you know, self-developing his own film. But I think, you know, definitely people got interested in him that way. But I think Bate and Ennismen succeed on their own. I mean, I thought Ennismen was one of the best British films of this year um, in terms of originality and style. And, you know, I really kind of got drawn into that film. But in terms of other traits, I mean, I think what's happened a lot since we started, there's been a much more of a diversity of who's making the films. And that's something that's changed a lot in the last 20 years um, in terms of, you know, where people are from, race, gender. You know, back in the early days, it was a lot of guys, for want of a better way of putting it. It's just the way it was. Um, and that has changed out of all proportion. I think, again, you know, when we started and certainly, my, you know, running the festival with, with Kate, she was obviously on the lookout for, for female filmmakers, for women filmmakers, um, because, you know, let's try and see who's out there doing interesting stuff, and more so than just showing the same old guys over and over again. And I think that's expanded into, yeah, a much more diverse kind of, pool of filmmakers that are you know getting support and getting funding and I think that's really important because you want to have a program of really interesting voices coming from all different angles you don't want to just program of all the same people you know doing you know saying the same thing and that's developing into you know the people that are getting funded to make features you know on the flip side of that I know there's a few guys that are going oh they won't give me money anymore but that's not true you know there's a lot of filmmakers out there like, give everyone a chance you know it's like you know if the film if the, if the filmmaker is an interesting filmmaker then you know they'll they'll kind of get through and they'll get that support if the work's good and then how, so how are you guys at LSFF uh, addressing diversity in your selection process is something you're actively looking at yeah, I think with the team that we've put together in the last few years, definitely, yeah. I, I think that we had to think about who we were bringing in to watch the films, and that's happened at a lot of festivals. You can ask any festival that. I think, you know, not having the same people watching the films that are making the films, I think, opens it up to where else are these films coming from. And certainly, you know, the other thing that has changed a lot since the early days is we were British focus, you know, and we decided not that long ago, actually, you know, maybe only eight years ago, seven years ago to open for international submissions. Because I always had this thing that encounters with the International Short Film Festival. But as we grew, it made sense to, you know, 
to bring in, in that now we get more international submissions than we do British um, UK submissions although we still try and have that sort of strong UK kind of focus within the festival but then in terms of where those films are coming from internationally yeah there's going to get a lot of American films we're going to get a lot of French films we're going to get a lot of German films but it's like but we want to see films from South America we want to see films from Central Africa we want to see films from the Far East so you kind of have to reach out to those places even though you're getting 5,000 submissions and it's like do we want any more submissions but it's like you looked at we've only got you know three films from Brazil there must be more than three films being made in Brazil you know so there has been a bit of a outreach to try and kind of see those films in other is that like going on film freeway and emailing yeah we did a project with the british council a couple of years ago to um to try and promote the festival to southeast asian filmmakers and that was interesting brought some interesting stuff in so again trying to make the program a bit um you know a, a much bigger selection of what's happening in the world in terms of your sele- selecting your selection committee, how are you finding these people? And then obviously you're actively trying to find people with different voices who are going to look at different things. How are you finding these, these uh, Well, we do, a, I mean, we do a proper process of advertising and um, interviewing. Um, and we have a, I mean, we did actually shrink it slightly because we had a pre-selection committee of 11 and then we've sort of brought that down to a selection committee of eight um this year so yeah it's just sort of talking to them again thinking who you know and although they all do get paid a lot of people drop out anyway because they're too busy you know it's a lot of work doing it in your spare time because yeah, 5,000 submissions that's a lot of films yeah to watch, yeah yeah I mean that's what I've been doing the last um week so because we all work as pre-selectors as well I you know, Alicia, who's the festival producer, you know, farms out the batches to the, uh, pardon me, to the selection committee. So I get a batch the way everybody else does. So I'm watching stuff, um, you know, fresh as well without, you know, just from a, a random batch. But then at the same time, I'm also aware of filmmakers that I might know who are entering. Or if there's a film school that I know that are entering, I want to check their stuff out. Or we work with a couple of European film distributors like Square Eyes and um, Morissette in Paris who you know, send us the films that they're representing. So I want to see those films. So I'm looking at those films as well as you yeah. know, the submissions that are coming. Do you, um, so what stands out to you as, a, as like a really good short film? I know it's quite a generic <laughs> question because you watch so many, yeah. but there must be, I, it's not a formula or anything like that, but is there anything that really like hits you? Yeah, I mean, it's that eternal question that does get asked a lot at the panels and by filmmakers, you know, what makes a good short film? And it hasn't really got an answer. It's difficult to sort of say, I suppose... You know, watching a pressing play, you want to see something that's sort of surprising and new, and that's quite difficult when you're watching so many films. And I've said this before on many, many panels, that a lot of the stuff that you do get sent in terms of drama is pretty generic, kind of pretty, for want of a better word, polished kind of drama. You know, I've spoken about this a lot, and that's fine. You know, a lot of dramas are great, but a lot of them are just very bland and... They might be well shot and whatever, but they're not really doing any anything interesting cinematically. You know, I had this whole sort of um, idea that they're sort of like EastEnders type short films. They're like an episode of a soap 
opera on TV, you know, which is which is just bland, you know, and it's just not interesting cinematically. So you're always looking for something that would stand out on the bigger screen in the cinema. The flip side is that maybe some of those films are fine and if the filmmaker wants to sort of prove that they can direct and they can direct actors and that's totally fine and, you know, it could be that they end up doing TV as many short filmmakers do do a lot of TV. I mean, the soap opera world is 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 rife with short filmmakers doing doctors or, um, you know, everyone's got to earn, earn money. But uh, then to get to that point, you know, a lot of those filmmakers need to do well on the festival circuit. So if they're not getting in... Yeah, yeah, they're getting that. But that's true. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the flip side, I suppose. <laughs> but isn't it famously, what's his name? The, um, did did uh, Agatha Christie... Um, Pre- Kenneth Brenner? Sorry, no, no. Oh. The, the, um, the Scandinavian guy, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn. Oh, right. He directed um, Miss Marple or something. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> TV that, in Britain, <laughs> like about 20, 30 the guy years that ago. Did push her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you know, there's no. That's obviously a, a good place for filmmakers to go and learn learn a craft. You know, in film schools, they're they're very much, you know, something like the NFTS, National Film and Television School you know, uh, basically training people to be in the industry and that's what they people go there to do. You know, you go to their grad screenings and they have a whole showreel at the front of which grads, graduation students have, screen, you know, worked on James Bond or Marvel films or whatever and that's important for those people that are learning that craft to move on to get those jobs in the industry. Maybe those films aren't so great for festival worlds but the fact that those people have been to the nfts and to some of the other established film schools is important for their industry career you so know. sort of like they're real that they can yeah, demonstrate yeah. That they can they can yeah. do that sort of thing because you know some of those film school shorts are not that great they're pretty pretty bland in terms of what they're presenting but they're kind of showing what the filmmaker can do to people that need to see what they can do um you know, yeah, I mean, other film, some of the film schools, when it's animation or documentary, that's where the more interesting work comes out of those film schools rather than the drama. But then, you know, I think the festival isn't specifically showcasing drama. Um, and it's interesting going to some of the European festivals, which definitely feel a little bit more experimental, even though they're not advertised as experimental festivals you will sit through a whole program of short films and there will be like zero dramas <laughs> it will be very challenging i mean even berlin ali shorts the competition shorts can be a bit challenging in terms of what's being presented um but you see some really interesting work and really original work um, is that is that why you created the low budget mayhem section of the festival i mean the low you, budget you explain what that is as well to the yeah listeners? i mean again that was something that sort of started in pretty much the first or second year of this idea of just screening stuff that crap that people send in not crap but you know stuff that's fun and a bit weird and a bit wacky and you know we've we've kind of followed that up with the what the fuck program as well because it's a kind of not so much low budget but also stuff that is kind of quite sort of out there in terms of what the filmmaker is doing and you kind of watch a submission open mouth kind of like what is this what the hell is this you know but again i don't know it's yeah because obviously you want every program to surprise people and to you know really hit people hard but i think with those two programs it's kind of veering on to 
maybe films that wouldn't be at other festivals, you know. Uh, you think no one is going to show this film. Um, I mean, in the Low Budget Mayhem program a few years back, we did we showed, we had this half an hour short that was one shot, which was a relationship drama set over a number of years where, where they were moving from location to location. The actors would just run down the street with the camera crew following them while they'd put in on new jackets and then sit down in this park or whatever and continue the dialogue. It was actually really well done, but it was, and it held you as well, I think, because the acting and the script was so strong, but it was just so funny the way every six or seven minutes, the, the, they everyone would just jump up and run off to another location without a cut. So it'd take, you know, 30 seconds or a minute to get to the next location, so running down the street. Sounds like, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, like low-budget mayhem to me seems like a kind of punk thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the part of the spirit of London Short Film Festival. Yeah, you know, just yeah. like it's anti-authority, anti-establishment in terms of yeah. having to have X amount of money to make yeah. your film just go out and... And do, do it, it. yeah. You know, I mean, I think with low budget mayhem, you know, we have this sort of slightly cheaper way of submitting under five minutes section, but the films in low budget mayhem aren't all those films that get submitted into the under five minutes section submission section because some of those films are longer than five mm. minutes. Yeah. What's the um, the rules around low budget mayhem just for the listeners? Well, there isn't really any There's rules. No, it's but just, it's got to be under a certain amount of time, has it? Or no, no, no. Well, oh, like I, I said, we showed this 30-minute 30, 30 film in low budget mayhem that I just mentioned. So it's not about the length. I think it's just about the ethos of the film, really. And it's interesting because we've had some animations end up in low-budget mayhem. And you're kind of thinking, well, by default, they're going to be quite low-budget because it's usually just one person sitting on their laptop making the animation. But I think some animations that have that scratchy kind of kind of low-fi feel, you know, can work in low-budget mayhem as well. Um, so it's those kind of films that have a kind of low lo-fi sort of feel to them definitely yeah yeah, yeah we like the word lo-fi on this podcast yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's come up a few times, <laughs> right. it's yeah. come up a few um, times. i just wanted to um quick just jump back a little bit to what you were saying about like addressing diversity in the selection process and you mentioned your selectors like coming mm. from different backgrounds do you have like i suppose any targets in place or anything like that when it comes to selecting the films because i understand some festivals do um, I'm no, curious. not really. It's no. No, we haven't really No, not not nothing official. Mm -hmm. No. Not that I can I mean I think when you, it, those discussions that you have when you're putting the final programmes together, you know, the diversity comes out of those discussions, I think. There's no specific targets. Definitely not. Um so those discussions you're sort of like it's quite organic yeah it's like we're yeah. looking at what you know yeah. making sure it's yeah. relatively balanced and I think when you're doing a, a guest program or a special program you know you kind of want to bring in a good diversity of films I, as I said I'm doing this program of you know, short older shorts that we're we're going to be presenting at the BFI a little bit in relation to their film on film festival that they did a few months ago um, where it was all stuff being shown on film print so it's this idea of doing a program shorts older shorts on film print but the further you go back it becomes harder to uh, to find a diverse collection of British filmmakers because you know those filmmakers weren't really out there but you have to dig a bit I mean we've had a really good relationship with um, and Gozi Onwura, who made who was the first black female feature filmmaker in the mid nineties with Welcome to the Terror Dome. 
and she's made some incredible shorts and before that in the late 80s she was at the national film and television school she lives in la now but um we've had a retrospective of her work i'm going to include one of her earlier shorts in this program of film on film so i think yeah you can kind of find those people out there definitely it just takes a little bit more searching but yeah you don't want to just put a whole program i mean great as they are you don't want a whole program of andrew cotting john smith peter greenaway i had all those people in this list and you're kind of thinking hold it we've got to sort of see who else is out there great and i love all those filmmakers um but it's making sure that there's a really good good mix of 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 yeah more diverse voices for want of a better expression which i know gets used a lot at the moment so how do you how do you choose the categories and the strands that you end up going with and like how do you curate those yeah i mean there's those categories strands that have been there since the start a lot of them like the the funny shit comedy program i mean it's interesting because we're not really known as, as as a festival that shows a lot of comedy but we always do open with that comedy program on the opening night which was pretty much there since the first year of the festival it was just this idea of oh let's just start off to kind of entertain people and then we can sort of you know lull them into full sense of security so yeah those like midnight movies the low budget mayhem there's a few programs that are genre a bit more genre led that that do do end up every year but then those other programs come together like any festival and when i used to do lff as well just out of discussion of what themes are coming out, what ideas, you know, you know, is there a climate change theme? Is there a, there was the whole thing post Me Too around consent um, a couple of years ago, a lot of films coming out around that subject and we did a program around that or it could be more abstract than that, you know, it could be just films that seem to fit together that we can somehow bunch together with an interesting title. I know some of our theme titles our program titles got a bit long last year yeah that was one of our programmers that was kind of like coming up with these really bonkers kind of program titles a bit like what does that even mean um you know but that's half the fun of it coming up with stuff that looks interesting and people are gonna you know react to do you ever get any occasions where a film you'll really like that film but you can't fit it in a category yeah, I mean, that's something that's happened kind of over the years. And it was harder to do. That was, you know, again, going back to my work with LFF, you know, we weren't getting as many submissions. It was something like 3,000, but we're only selecting 40 or 50. So, you know, for that festival, there were so many good films that you can't include. With LSFF, it's a bit different. You know, we've got 30 programs of films, but even with that, amount of programs there's definitely films that dropped by the wayside um for whatever reason i mean going back to that sort of idea of the the berlinale films and the can films you know if you need to lose some films maybe you know because we've got too many in this program or whatever maybe well that film was in berlinale i think they're going to be fine you know <laughs> so we'll bring that out so it's just that idea of um you know yeah, so films will will be lost definitely. Films that are that are, that are good. Mm. So it's a really intriguing process. Obviously, you don't know until you've seen the films what's going to 
be the category, you know. It's, uh, no, I mean, we're, we work to towards those obviously. categories that we have, you know, that, that exist. But then those other categories, I mean, that's, again, we've changed the way we... I won't get into the ins and outs, but there's um, we use a platform called Film Chief now for the first year um, to view. So you can put categories into Film Chief that you want to put the film into, but talking to the other programmers, they don't want too many categories in advance because then the selection committee will start thinking of films that fit those categories. Right, yeah. So, you know, there's one category because you have to, market a category there's one that says no specific theme and the majority of the films that are going through to sort of yeses or second views are currently in the no specific theme <laughs> category because um, obviously if you see a horror film or a comedy that'll go oh that's gone in midnight movies that's gone in funny shit that's fine um but it's those yeah those other categories that kind of will come out as the discussion starts but at the moment we're still very even though submissions closed last night um we're, we're still very much in that viewing stage i think it's time for the last question all right um which is our question we ask every single guest um and particularly i think it's gonna be an interesting one for you <laughs> um what is your favorite short film or a short film that's like very much impacted you yeah um i mean that's a hard question to answer. I did do this thing for Sight and Sound for their um, their um, film poll, um, mm -hmm. which happened last year, where they ask industry people to nominate 10 films. I did it 10 years ago and nominated what, for me, were important films growing up and seeing uh, as a teenager and in my 20s and films that I really, you know, got me into cinema. So when it came around 10 years later to last year, when they would, because they do the poll every 10 years, I didn't want to just put the same films in. I could have thought of films that I'd seen since the previous poll or films that, I don't know, just, but anyway, I thought, no, I'm going to put short films in. So I did nice. start doing a project of trying to decide on 10 short films, which was quite hard, but it did lead me to do, I ended up selecting 10, but it did lead me to do a whole project of, of I think there's a list of something like 200 short Ooh. films um, that, that go right back to historically. Um, obviously, as we get closer to now, there's a lot more. But um, in terms of what would be the number one in those 10, 10 films, it would be quite hard to... Answer. I mean, I've, we've already spoken about Wasp, Andrea Arnold. Um, you know, that would definitely be up there. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, okay. Um, Is that your final answer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, again, you know, again, when I first started doing short film programming and when I saw Andrew Cotting's films, you know, I, you know, his films have really stayed with me because when I saw them, they were like, wow, I've not seen anything like this before. Is there one in particular? Well, this Smart Alec is really good, but his work's so diverse in terms of subject matter and the fact that he does documentary and he does experimental and gallery work. Smart Alec is much more of a, a drama because it's co-written by and stars Sean Locke, you know, the mm. comedian who sadly yeah, died because yeah. he had quite a good relationship with Sean Locke. They did a feature together in the early 2000s, which is quite a weird mix because Sean Locke's known more as, a, more as a comedian and Andrew Cotting's an experimental filmmaker yeah. but they made this 
feature this filthy earth. Uh, but he's so smart. Alec is definitely worth checking out. And then his really early graduation short from the eighties, Clippity Clop, is really good fun. I mean, it's very experimental, but it's fun experimental. So Clippity um, Clop, Smart Alec. Yeah, Maybe from him. Okay. Uh, but even something like you know, I mentioned John Smith earlier. Girl chewing gum is quite a definitive sort of short film. Again, experimental but playful. Experimental. From, okay. it's from I think from the late seventies. Then you know then that's an interesting one because people have remade it over the decades all around the world because it's such a such a obvious film to remake. Yeah, okay. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, no, you should check no. it out on YouTube. Girl, Girl chewing gum. gum. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then because yeah. I spoke to him about possibly doing a screening of all his um, the film, the best of the films that he's been sent of filmmakers that had remade it. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, um... I think that, those are... I'll definitely check those out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Them, it's so. a good list, I think, yeah. for, for listeners. But, yeah, as I said, you know, Andrea Arnold is someone that's been very close to the festival and, you know, Dog and Milk, her two earlier shorts mm. before Wasp are pretty strong as well. Okay. okay. I haven't mm. seen Dog. Dog's um, probably... what well, I mean, it's interesting because Milk is quite different for her style and I think she hadn't really found a voice as a filmmaker when she made Milk. I think it did well at the time in terms of festivals, but Dog very much feels like it's her first, very much sort of tackles subjects that she's revisited in mm. in in the work she's done since. Yeah. Cool. Okay, awesome. Wicked. Thank you so okay. much, Philip. Yeah, yeah well, that concludes the session. Yeah. Right. Well, we love, you know, your festival. Okay, so, yeah. and um, yeah, thank you for thanks. having a chat with us yeah, today. No, thanks. Thank it was fun. It was interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right.